You're listening to Creators in Saigon, a podcast based in the rapidly modernizing city of Saigon, Vietnam. I'm Dana, and together with my co-hosts, Tuesi and Nico, we interview the most inspiring creative entrepreneurs Saigon has to offer on topics about life, relationships, creativity, business, health, and more. We are all coaches specializing in different areas, but our common goal is to inspire you to reach your full potential in these areas and improve the quality of your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, Greg. I'm very excited to have you today on the show because I remember the first time we met, I was in my office during one of my missions for a client and you arrived as a customer asking for some basic informations. And at that time, we had a great conversation that directly moved into deep and insightful topics. And at that moment, I think I offered almost right away to invite you on the show. And if I didn't, at least I was sure I wanted to have you on Creators in Saigon podcast to continue this meaningful conversation because we love to have, you know, these type of conversations that we started with our guests and hopefully let a larger number of people learning from your insights. So today we are here because we want to talk about social entrepreneurship. And I am familiar myself with this concept a little bit, probably like most of us listening to this podcast, although I'm really interested in getting deeper into this because it seems great on paper, uh, but harder to actually put in place and be successful at it as an entrepreneur. So it would be good to have your uh, point of view. And also, you know, from a customer point of view, it's hard to understand why it matters and especially in Vietnam. But before, allow me to actually, you know, get a little more background about you and because it seems you have a lot of different hats when we look into your profile. It's, it's hard to know, you know, where to start with you and you have so many, you know, involvement into different communities and you are doing a lot of different activities. So can you share with the audience what are the different things you're involved in and working on at the moment? Absolutely. First of all, thanks for the lovely introduction. And I really appreciate being invited to your program. I've got a lot of big shoes to fill because I've seen some of your previous guests are people who I believe are making a huge impact in the community in Saigon, especially. And it's, it's really great that you make the effort to highlight the kinds of activities people are doing that, that really, I think, reflect well on the on the expat community, especially because the, the overall perception of local people is it's probably good, I guess, but I guess they think we come here and we just want to take the thing we need like money or some, some other kind of benefit. And, and then we leave when we're, just, when we're tired of it or we're fed up. And you've done a great job, if you don't mind me calling you out, because you've found so many people who are doing a lot more than just being plunderers or you know something like this they've come with a lot more serious purpose and a, and a greater mission and I, I relate to those people and I admire them very much so to be included in your cast is really nice so thanks for that okay so that's out of the way oh yeah I do wear a lot of hats to be honest I wouldn't know what else to do any other way I've, since I was a teenager my even my family told me to reduce the number of things I'm doing and try not to spread myself thin and I'm getting distracted and one thing I'm doing is suffering because of another. I don't agree with that. I just think some people are wired differently. And there are people out there like me who having downtime is uncomfortable. I really like to stay busy. Mm -hmm. And I, there, there are issues that I care about 
And when we look at the scope of the influence that we have in our life, you know, some problems are really large and we may feel there's not much we can do about it. Let's say the environment. Well, we can reduce, reuse, recycle. We can follow some kind of guideline, but these are really massive global problems. And we might feel overwhelmed by that. But I, I sometimes, I look for a really local and personal and direct way to do to take action on things I care about. So I think that's my main driving force. So it leads me to a lot of different projects. One is, if you don't know, I'm the recent former chair of Democrats Abroad in Vietnam. And so that's the American political party operation in Vietnam. We, in Vietnam, of course, we need to be very careful. We are not really a political organization, not advocating for anything local. Of course, it's all about voting. So what we do is register people and help them understand how to vote from abroad. And if people want to do that, the easiest thing is to go to votefromabroad.org. If you're an American citizen, you can just follow that pathway. It's nonpartisan. So this is to my Republican brothers and sisters too. Everyone can do this. Mm -hmm. And I encourage everyone to vote whether I agree with you or not. We hold that principle very, very. But beyond that, of course, we want to win elections. So we provide information to voters in Vietnam about what's going on in their home state, important referendums and elections and primaries that they need to know about, issues that affect them. The organization overall works on things like taxes and healthcare for Americans abroad, things like getting the vaccine. Democrats Abroad Thailand is leading the way globally on making a huge petition to the U.S. embassies to vaccinate American citizens and their families and their their close associates. And yeah, so, so that, that's some of what we do. And now I'm operating at the regional level. I'm the, the deputy to the regional chair who oversees Democrats abroad across Asia Pacific. And that involves helping the new leadership in various places, like from Japan and Korea, all the way down to Indonesia, Australia, India, Kazakhstan, really all of Asia and the Pacific area. So it's, it's quite a responsibility, but I have I have a lot of great colleagues and other volunteers. We share that. If anyone wants to volunteer, we're always looking for help. So that's one thing I do. You know, my passion, though, outside of business and volunteering yeah. and issues is music. So uh, I spend a lot of time writing songs, producing, recording. I, in, in Ology, where, you know, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, we do have a recording studio. So one of the fringe benefits is that I get to make my songs real. And I was in a band here called the Young Buffaloes, which if you're from Vietnam, that has special meaning to us, Jay Tao. It's, it's kind of a euphemism for the youthful, rebellious type, right? Yes. And yeah, so we called ourselves that. And we were playing two or three times a month before Corona hit. Uh, I play guitar and bass and I sing and write. I can play the trombone. So so, and, and I come from a musical family. So wh whether I continue doing that professionally or not, I'll always keep it around. I, I did play professionally for a while in Nashville, Tennessee. And, and that's where I got all my F&B experience. You know, anybody who's been a songwriter knows how to wait, wait tables because it, it wait, sitting around waiting for someone to discover you isn't very lucrative and it takes a while. So you've got to pay the bills. So I got a lot of experience in F&B and, 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 and I guess... At the time, I can't say I hated it. I saw it as kind of a necessary evil. But looking back, those were some of the best times. And I really love it. That's why I was so excited about having a restaurant here. Yeah. You're, you're so, so, so this is some of the other activities I do. But yeah, I guess the main thing now is, is getting this social enterprise going and 
that has taken most of my focus. So I've had to kind of reduce the time I'm spending on those other activities. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I was about to ask actually, because I was curious when you said you were involved into um, the Democrats and you are also doing music. I used to do music for 12 years and it was taking a lot of my time because it's on a daily basis that you have to work on it because it's like a rhythm. Actually, it's like a rhythm yeah, that you have to keep because otherwise you may, you know, lose the progression that you've made just by stopping for two weeks or even one week. So that means like you play music every day and you must have a lot of responsibilities with the Democrats, right? Yes, that's right. So, so with music, I, I wish I could tell you I had an everyday practicing regiment, but I don't. And yeah. I have not having performances scheduled is really demotivating. I, mm. I'm, I'm not one of these virtuoso players who popped out of the womb, you know, playing amazing violin. Nobody is, I guess. You have to work really every day, like you said. And if you don't, you get behind. I, th I think if I had some show dates, I might feel more motivated to practice right now. Yeah, and with Democrats, it takes loads of time. Actually, it's funny, but at the regional level, I put in fewer hours than I did at the local level because it's a lot more flexible and I don't have any very defined responsibilities. Whereas when I was chair of Democrats Abroad Vietnam, I was responsible for a lot of weekly and monthly activities, especially during the election, which is past. But anyway, yeah, so now, now I'm here. I guess in the intro you mentioned, I've been in Vietnam for three and a half years, but I, I was in Korea and Laos and I spent time in Saudi Arabia and Thailand before yeah. coming here. And a lot of the experiences I got working as a teacher informed what I thought a school should be like. And the hard lessons I learned included how a strictly for-profit method of delivering an educational product Yeah. is not the, way to, not the way to go. To me, when we look at development, in, and I mean, I don't, how, how do you define development? Well, for example, Vietnam is a developing country and we're kind of in the middle of that progression here. We're not, we're not a least economically developed country, nor is Vietnam a most economically developed country. It's in this trans transitional phase where there is a rising middle class. Population is still skewed quite young. There, there, there is still a huge need for foreign experts to come in and do certain roles, but that's reduced. You can look at the government policy and see that the government is starting to realize they might not need as many foreign workers as they did before. Yeah. And so I know that's been a, a big crunch on some of my friends and colleagues here. Yeah. And I, I feel bad when we lose good people here, but I, but I also understand the government, they have to think first about their own economic and social development, environmental protection, and what's best for their... The government has recently, in the last year, issued a policy note that said they supported technical and vocational training. And I saw that as a huge opportunity, so I took it. And so, so I, think, I think of education as one of the pillars of a really strong development program. So when you look at the UN development program and the food program, for all of the great work that NGOs are doing across Southeast Asia, from big to small local NPOs. Education is part of that story, but most of the education is happening in the local public school, or it's happening in a language institute, or possibly in a for-profit international school. What, what I didn't like was that, I, I won't name names, but a lot of institutions put profits before people. 
Mm. And that having, having bums in seats, that's what we say, having, having enough students or raking in enough cash and then making a profit is, is their primary directive, which is really the directive of any for-profit enterprise, right? There's, yeah. there's nothing particularly wrong with that. But when you're looking at medicine, education, environment, things like this, there's a nonprofit mission there that can't be lost. You're helping people, you're building community, you're protecting the environment, uh, you're building an economy that's fair and accessible to everyone. If, if we're all strictly for profit and we only think of that bottom line, we're not going to get there. Yeah. So I, I thought, let's make a social enterprise. So yes, we're providing a product, it's for sale, we're going to make money from that, but we're going to reinvest some of that money in programs that help people that can't afford it. We're going to create programming that helps disadvantaged communities. We're going to work in tandem with other social enterprises and other nonprofits, maybe to support each other to fulfill their mission, which if I meet people or I see a company that's doing work for the community, I want to support them somehow. Yeah. Rather than give them money or go volunteer for them, I just say, well, whatever services Ology is providing that can be helpful to you if there's a way for us to coordinate that's mutually beneficial and serves that greater community need, then I'm in. Yeah. So, so I guess you wanted, maybe we should talk about what, what a social enterprise is, yeah. because I bet yeah. some people are wondering. I, I want to talk about it in a little bit later. What I want is to okay. understand sure. a little more about, about you and, and actually what you just said, make me, I mean, lead, leads me to, to this question because you, it seems that you've, understood clearly what are your you know core values and and what is your personal mission and actually you you mentioned that in uh, in our previous conversations and you said that you are somehow like you strongly believe in in diversity and inclusion yes how, how did you find those core values what is what was your your journey toward these and and how can someone who is for example 25 years old today who is actually a little lost probably about, you know, all these options he or she has in life. Uh, how can they do the same in you? Like find your, your core values. Oh, that's a, great, that's a great question. Well, I'll start with the core values. You know, they tell you whenever you start a business, you need to consider what your value. When you look, when you look on websites for the really big organizations, they might have a long, long list of things that they value that are quite specific. Uh, I don't really recommend that for a startup. I think having just one or two main values that you stick to because what you I can make a list of 20 things that I value but how do you put that into practice so it's unrealistic and you're going to fail if you hold yourself to such a huge uh, responsibility so I would choose if I was 25 and I was thinking what do I do start with your own core values start with what matters to you what issues really speak to you and if you need to work backwards to think what kind of what kind of principles or morals or ethics do I need to have to do that properly in the way that I think is right? So for me, my primary value is social responsibility. And I think that started with the Boy Scouts. Say what you will of the organization. I, I'm an Eagle Scout and I went through, you know, all the camping is fun, all the friendships and the trips and the climbing, all the cool stuff. But the Scouts teach you more than just how to tie knots and climb a mountain. They teach you honor, responsibility, and being honest, and taking care of other people, understanding your civic duty, volunteerism, 
Uh, I also think I'll speak well of my country for a moment. There's a lot of bad things to say. The United States is under, it's probably all true. I just want to say one good thing is that I don't know if we invented global, you know, voluntary outreach. I don't think that's true, but I can say that Americans in general have a core value as a nation that, that charitable work, nonprofit work, donations, volunteerism are part of our aspirational identity. I mean, that's why the Peace Corps was founded. And so I think when I look at that national character, part of that spoke to me. Part of it spoke to me from the Scouts, where I learned that personal responsibility and duty and honor and all that stuff. But also growing up in a family that was quite liberal-minded, but living in the South. So I, <laughs> I looked around me in Louisiana and in Georgia, and yeah, you can see racism and sexism and classism and all of these things that affect the access to facilities and even access to government and education. I, I, I just fundamentally thought that was unfair. And I grew up in a family that watched the news a lot and talked about these things at the dinner table. And so that kind of got in me. And, and so I, I have this outward view because of it. So I think like if you're young and you're looking, like, you, you have to think for yourself, like pick one or two things that you really think you can accomplish. And so for me, social responsibility and transparency, those two are really big. So that informs my, my, my thinking. I also think uh, in regards to diversity, that's been a long road. I mean, I'm a, I'm a white male, middle-class, middle-aged, blue-eyed American, you know, developed country. I, I, don't, I don't check a lot of boxes in terms of diversity. You could argue maybe that I grew up in some working-class neighborhoods and I went to public schools, but that economic disadvantage doesn't compare to the racial and gender and ethnic and religious disadvantages that people experience. So I, I had loads of friends who I just saw them suffering these things and I don't know what I could do to help, but I thought what I, one thing I can control is myself. So yeah. there's another piece of advice for young people. You can't change other people and change their values. You can just maintain your own. And we all make mistakes and we learn and we grow. I shudder to think that some, some of the things I might have done or said in like 1991 instead of 2021. And we're allowed to grow and change. And I, I, think, I think that that journey has brought me to the point where I think having a diverse staff and student body from socioeconomic backgrounds contributes to the value and the, the quality of, the, of what you're doing. So long answer, but there you go. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like your answer. And, and I believe also, like, I want, I, want, I wanted to go just to say a little word about, you said, like, this positive thing about Americans. And, and in general, I felt that the conversation I had with people from developed countries somehow is their problems are more related to, you know, like, how can I contribute? And how can I, like, I had a lot of conversations, of course, like political conversations and, and climate change conversation and all these things, like, you, you have them with your uh, fellow Americans. You don't you usually, it's harder to, to get into with like your local friends usually, or, or something like, I, what I feel is like, I see a change actually, because I've been here for eight years in Vietnam. And I feel like the, the young generation cares more and more, you know, what's going on because Vietnam is growing and rising as well. So that's true. I've, I've encountered it in, I've taught university classes and international school institute work. I've done a bunch of educational things here. And one of the things you see is that the younger generation that's in school now that hasn't, they're not old enough to be professionals yet. They have a much more global view of these social problems. 
and they have a lot more open mind about social issues and, and the differences between people. And I, I think that's probably true in every country, but you can really dramatically see the difference here from generation to generation. Nothing wrong with my older friends and the ones who are my age, my contemporaries, but these like 15 and 16 year olds are gonna kick all our butts. They're way better than us. Yeah. Actually, congratulations because you are uh, 45 years old. And uh, right. yeah, <laughs> and you told me that you only recently um, jumped into being self-employed so yeah like yeah. This, i think all this conversation about core values and, and personal mission i think for me is one of the answer that you know could have could explain why you jumped into being self-employed but maybe you want yes. to you know expand on that and explain us a little more uh, what you were doing yeah. before and what pushed you taking the leap of being self-employed sure so um i i guess when you know, when you become an entrepreneur, it's, it's like magic. You start meeting other entrepreneurs. They, they start showing up. They weren't there before and suddenly you see each other. And we have these conversations like, well, what, what made you decide to, to cut the tether, to take the leap, you know, to leave behind the comfort of being employed by someone else and having some certainty and some stability and having that money flow every month. And all you have to do is your job. And what made you decide to make that jump? And I think what we all share, regardless of what our mission is, is that we felt like all of us see ourselves as leaders and we all see ourselves as ambitious. But more than that, we have a vision of our own way to do something that would be more effective or more helpful. So when you, when you decide to leave a company and you decide to start your own, I think most of us are motivated by a simple thought. You know, I see something and I think I can do it better. We all believe that. So maybe that's a bit egocentric, like, oh, wow, you're going to save the day. But you have to have that confidence and that drive to believe that you can do something unique and special and useful. So if, if you're in a company a long time, number one, if you're not being listened to by your upper management, if they're not getting your input on things that affect your daily work, it's demor demoralizing. Yeah. And I got really tired of being in an, an idea person in companies where ideas were not welcome or appreciated. So I said, well, how do I get to the point where my ideas matter? Only if you're at the very top and you start to realize you can climb and climb and climb the ladder, but that ladder still belongs to someone else yeah. and you're still climbing their house. So I, I said, you know what, if I'm going to climb this ladder, I'm just going to climb my own house. And um, sorry. Yeah. I don't know if that works. I like when we, we speak in metaphors because it's, 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 uh, it's much more visual. And Anyway, I'm, I'm known for that. But like, yeah, I, and, and so it was that my values didn't match with their values. Mm. And my ideas and the ideas of my really brilliant and passionate colleagues were not being heard. You're being underpaid, underappreciated, underused, and somehow overused at the same time. And, and nobody really wants that. So this isn't my first business. I mean, I started, I was 13 years old. It, it, it had to have been illegal. In New Orleans, I went, there was a, I was a big comic book nerd. And so I wanted to go get comic books, but I had no way to have money for it. And my parents didn't give me an allowance, you know, boohoo. But I went out there and I found the comic book shop and I said, what can I do? And so to those young people, if you love something, if you love uh, motorbikes, skateboards, movies, comics, philosophy, it doesn't really matter what you like, go find the people who are doing that and just hang out with them and you will find an opportunity. They will see that passion and they will put you in. So I went to that comic sh shop every day, 
finally the owner just said, I'm really tired of you hanging out and not buying anything. I said, well, I don't have any money. So he gave me a job. And, and you know, th then I started my own business doing like lawn care, saved up, got my lawnmower, got the clippers, got all the stuff. So I was always motivated to work for myself, but it, it wasn't a way to make a living uh, until now. Yeah. That's good. So the, the advice you gave is uh, about finding people who have this similar passion is actually, I think it's a start, you know, like that, light, that can light the, ignite the fire of, you know, starting things on your own or, or at least like um, making things the way you want us to, to, to have them in the future. Yeah, so, you, know, you, you know that expression, guilty by association. Yeah. Well, there's the opposite of that too. You, you can be acknowledged and seen and appreciated yeah. by association too because people who share those same passions are going to really understand what stage you're in. And they're going to give you a, a way to join because if, if they have a social mission like I do, and I'd like I think you do, they need more help. So they're definitely going to invite you in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you make something that has a... Okay, so it's a good trans, trans, transition to, to social entrepreneurship, actually. And I, okay, maybe you can start by introducing a little bit about Ology. And actually, the name comes from... Ancient Greek. I studied Greek a little bit at school, and the only thing that, left, that is left is logos, which probably means studying or the the study yes. or writing or something like that, right? Well, you're you're even. Not, my father is a retired lexicographer, a linguistic linguistics <laughs> major, right? So he studied literally dictionaries and words and how they change in time and meaning. But I'm not that complicated. I just saw the word biology, geology, archaeology. And I said, well, okay, this is a suffix in English that means the study of or the learning of yeah. something. So I wanted, since education and training are our primary focus, I said, okay, well, I wanted to leave myself room to train in different areas. So I didn't want it strictly to be like English or something like that. So I thought later maybe people could, ology could grow to the point where people could get skills and knowledge about any topic. But we have to start simple one by one. So yeah, ology means the study of, and that was my broad idea about naming the company so that I'd have some flexibility. And yeah, it does come from Greek. You're right. And any anyone who speaks English knows a good bit of Greek. Any Greek word is is probably a good English word. So way more imports than you can think of. So that's the name. Yeah, ology is primarily a professional development and training center. So we're classified as a human resources business and my idea is there's two sides to, to my business. One side is the learner or the job, the prospective job hunter or the trainee or the student. And they have anyone who is fresh out of university and looking for a job knows this feeling. Wow, I got this four-year degree. I know how to do so many things. Why can't I find a job? Well, employers are going to be so happy to see your degree. And of course, if you went to some great school, that helps too. But they really want to know what can you do? What can you do now? Value. So yeah, what's your real value? Can you start working today? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's a gap between what universities are providing and what employers need. And what, and, you know, even in the working, you know, sort of labor yeah. industries too. You get out of secondary school, you don't know how to be an electrical engineer after finish, finishing secondary school. So yeah, you can go to university and study those things. So what, what Ology wants to do, though, is to fill the gaps and give you some on-the-job training. So we try to find projects where 
trainees can get a little classroom work and experience in some good old book learning, but then go into the field and get their hands dirty. That's two metaphors in one. <laughs> you, can, um, you can go out and, and do something. And so I think you learn by doing mostly. Teaching is no different. So we do a teacher training program too. We're going to open a TEFL training program for English teachers. What will be different than the typical language training teacher gig is I'm going to focus on public school and private school teachers where the English language is not the learning objective. It's the medium of instruction. So when you're working overseas, it doesn't matter if you're teaching chemistry, you're still in an English language learning environment. So I'd, I'd like to offer a TEFL that's targeted towards international school teachers, public school teachers who probably know a lot about teaching and they probably know a lot about their discipline, but they don't know a lot about the English language learning environment. They don't often fancy themselves an English teacher and that's part of the problem, they, they need to. They are all, all of us are English teachers, even you. You know, I know you're a French citizen and that's not your native language to speak English, but you're, you're talking to locals all the time and they really appreciate that extra help. And so I think the teachers should take that frame of mind too. So yeah, we're doing training for teachers. I another one of our products is training for media and digital marketing. Now we're, we're trying to get our own act together first before we start training others. So. Once I feel really good about the marketing and media production that we're doing ourselves, and we're getting there, I'm going to open up the next step of our development, which is digital marketing, media production, and e-commerce. This nice. is what I call the whole, this is my holy trinity for the 21st century. Because nice. he, he, here's, here's economic development for you. Every, nearly every household, even in the poorest of places in Southeast Asia, there's a mobile phone in that household. They don't have a computer, they don't have a laptop, but they might have a smartphone, even a really low end one, but they've got one. Yep. Nearly everyone has some kind of phone that has internet access now. If you have a phone that has an okay camera and you've got an internet connection, you can be an entrepreneur. So yep. I wanna teach entrepreneurship, but yeah, all that planning is great. All of the project management skills are great but how are you gonna sell your product? So let's say you're living in a small town in the countryside and you've got a textile product that your family produces like clothing, right? And you wanna sell that clothing and you see it, you see a lot of young people on Facebook doing Facebook live videos, just trying to sell their products. And they're, they're kind of taking the salad bowl approach to marketing though, where they, they're selling to everyone all the time. They're not, they don't know how to target. They're not tailoring a message. They don't know how to, to create a brand. So they might make a great sale today, but they're not gonna keep that lifelong customer because there's nothing for the customer to identify with. It's just a sale. Yeah. So, so, so market, first of all, marketing is a real discipline. Secondly, I think it can be taught. And so with a phone, if you learn digital marketing, which is gonna be, yes, your market research and strategy and planning, but how to design content, how to plan the content, how to place the content, how to, how to purchase media, well, then you have a problem. You have, to you have to produce the media. With your phone, you can take photos, you can make videos, you can do some, some editing, and you can create something visually really nice that attracts attention, that, that creates a brand. Again, all with your mobile phone. And then thirdly, e-commerce. You need to understand retail sales online, merchandising, how to 
the logistics of how to distribute your product. So if you have a pro if you can get a product, plan for who your market is, who wants this, create some image for it and create a brand, find customers online and then deliver that product. Well, you could do that from your home. And, and so I think this is really empowering. So, so, so part of the social mission is you don't need a lot of startup capital if you have these skills. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's English and then marketing, media, and, and e-commerce. That's what we're focused on now. That's Ology. It's, it's, really, it's, it's really interesting because I think it's, it's what's lacking in our um, education system globally, I would say. It's rare to find um, good education program that are so practical or at least practical enough so like you can have something that actually gets you to you know make money not just by you know finding a good job actually in my opinion like it's hard for it, the education system in general to actually match with the professional world uh, because the professional world is constantly evolving but usually one of the things that's really lacking is the, the practical um, things like what you were saying about, you know, going to the field and, and all these things. And I remember when I started to study Vietnamese, when I arrived in Vietnam, guess what? The courses were in the nice University of uh, Social Science and Humanities in, in Saigon, right? But the courses were in English. And like I was learning English at the same time I was learning Vietnamese because, you know, it was things that I hadn't really study or like I was a bit lost and I didn't you know drop out of school or anything like I have a bachelor degree so I was supposed to be you know in the intelligentsia or like you know part of the, <laughs> top of the basket and, yes. and I arrived in Vietnam and just for a basic thing to do like learning the language of the country that I'm a guest in and I'm planning on you know opening a business in I have to go through English and then the second thing is you know, you're like, okay, I need a name for my business. Cool. You know, you brainstorm with your friends and everything. You find a name. And then you're like, okay, so now how do I sell my products? And you realize that even after studying, I studied three years in the business school. Like it's, it's hard to actually, you know, find the right questions to ask yourself to be able to get that product or get that service to work and to be sellable and and all these things i'm really enthusiastic to see you know like the future of your business like how practical it's going to be and and you know like how many uh people you can help that you know even if they have a good degree could struggle less to find a job or at least struggle less to you know become an entrepreneur that actually makes a lot of money because that's that's what we need i think in our society. that's right so so that that gives people independence and then they have a choice. They can take the skills that we give them or that we, we don't actually, we're not giving them all of the skills. We're helping them improve their skills. So, but give them their skills that they need. They could go work for an employer. And then you have an all around employee too. You have someone who has more than just a really narrow area. They've, they've learned, you know, if you go into, into digital marketing and you don't understand how graphic design and audio production and video production work, you're going to need other people to do that for you. But for a small to medium-sized enterprise or a nonprofit, they might not be able to afford to hire three or four people to, to be on their marketing team. Even for us, we, we can't afford a big team, yeah. not yet. I'm hoping that when things slow down with COVID, we get our, our students and our interns in here and they start doing those things. But, but yeah, you, it's hard for a startup or a small business to hire a big marketing team. 
wouldn't it be great if you hired one person who already knows how to do everything? You mentioned something. You said you looked at yourself for the idea for how to sell. I think that's a really key point. It's so hard for us to see ourselves. I'm really good at giving advice to other people, but giving myself advice, not so much. I really rely on that community of entrepreneurs, especially the older ones who have been through it more than me. People like yourself, you've been here longer. You can really give me a lot of insight on what's going on in Vietnam. So I come to you for that. That's why I knocked on your door. But, but then there's also people who are in business in various industries. It doesn't even matter the industry. I've got an entrepreneurship coach right now. And what he can do is see me the way I can't see me. Yeah. And he sees my value and my potential in ways that I don't always and encourages those things. And then I'm stronger. So part of what Ology wants to do is also keep that lifelong mentoring relationship. So on the business side, so I told you, okay, we're helping these people get yeah. their training and jobs, but the, the other side is the employer. So I hope that employers will come to us looking for well-trained people. I mean, that's the ideal. And then I can give them temp jobs or attempt to hire or place them. And I want to continue our relationship with that employee after they get hired. Like a simple headhunter, they give you, you give them your, your resume, your CV, CV, and they assess you and they put you through the machine. They give you some, some leads, you get an interview, you're hired, it's done. They get their money, you get your job, the company gets an employee. Great, that's good, we need that. But what if the relationship between the agency and the employee continued mm -hmm. where we, yeah. So they're, when they're in that probationary period in Vietnam, it's two months, I think. So you get two to three months, you get a couple of months of probation. You can be let go in that time. It's a critical period for an employer to, to assess an employee. And it's a critical period for the employee to assess the employer. And to, if they're missing skills at that point, I will talk to the employer on behalf of my trainee and say, what, what are they missing? What do they need? Maybe I can give them a little extra and yeah. we can work on that together. So I also sell professional development to the institutions who may want me to help their staff improve, like a staff training, whether it's language or customer service or you know, getting into the marketing, or just to say, okay, this transaction of me giving you a great employee and you pay me because I found the employee includes a little bit of extra time. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the, okay, you're French. The New Orleans word is lanyap. And it's a French Cajun word that means a little something extra, like a baker's does in that 13th donut. So that's the lanyap that I'm providing. And that, you know, I don't know how profitable that extra step will be, but I think that it makes a huge difference. We're not just limited to college graduates. I'd like to see this company as providing, ideally, a pathway as an alternative to university why I love universities, I'm a product of universities, but some people, they might at 18 or 19 years old, they, they might just like to learn a skill and go get, go get into the industry, get an entry-level job, get some experience. Then if they go to university later, if they, if they need to, yeah. they know what they're doing. They're not wasting their time. They choose the right major. They know the right questions to ask. Go get that experience. So, okay. Uh, so yeah, so those are the two sides. It's, it's helping employers, training their staff, helping potential employees get the training and help with the job placement. So that's the larger picture. And so, okay, what, what makes your business like social and what is a social entrepreneurship actually? Well, this is, this is the big thing. I think it can mean a lot of things. I don't, I don't feel that there's a very strict 
definition of what it means. How about this very simply? For you, is that for, you, not, not for, for, for me, yeah. yeah, okay, well, in, yeah. For, yeah. for me, yeah. for me, as I said, social responsibility is a key value of mine. It's a core value. Economic development is, I think, where, as a foreigner, I can come in and make a difference. Helping people go from working class to middle class or from lower middle class to a professional class, upper class, you know, whatever it is. So, so the, the social entrepreneurship side comes in where maybe we're helping people who otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity. So scholarships, look, we offer a premium product. It's not, it's not always cheap, but we, we look at your financial need and we look at your capacity and we look at your passion and we provide scholarship funding to supplement the difference. So for some students, if they come to us and they say, we really wanna study, but we can't afford it. I say, great, let's see what you can do. And we interview them, we assess what their skills are and what their interests are. If they have a good compelling story, we give them a, a huge discount or maybe even study for free. I'm searching for sponsors right now. And this is more traditionally nonprofit. Yeah. You, I, I find some sponsors, if anyone would like to donate and sponsor a student, I'm very open to that. I think it's fantastic. We will give you a discount on the on our rate. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to charge, you know, just so you know, we're not just in it to collect the money. Of course, we need to make money, but we'll we'll give kind of a wholesale price on the on the education. And like if you want to sponsor one person to go get a year certificate in in in, in media, uh, you can sponsor that. So those kind of options are part of what a social enterprise does. So scholarships, yes. We are lending our teacher trainees. So as soon as the teacher training program opens, I take a similar approach to the teacher training, training that I do to the, the other trainees. It's on the job training, right? So I think the best way to learn to teach is get experience in the classroom mm -hmm. and to be observed by a professional teacher, to co-teach. But what I can do is send those trainees to communities that can't afford the people can't afford a lang to attend a language institute or a small nonprofit language institute or a small mom and pop institute where they can't afford a foreign teacher. They can, they can afford a Vietnamese teacher, but they would really like to have a native. I'm just going to send that to you for free as, and, it, and it, it helps all of us. My teacher gets training experience. They learn, they learn through doing and your mission of raising capacity free or cheap is fulfilled because we're not charging you to send our teachers there. So I think that's a part of what I see as a social enterprise. So first of all, the scholarship, secondly, helping nonprofits and small businesses. Here's another way I think we can, we are a social enterprise. My idea is that when, when our shop is going from, for the marketing and media students, we, we act as an agency, like a mock agency. So really small businesses that cannot afford a marketing agency because your marketing costs money. It's worth it, by the way, what you spend on marketing. But, you know, a lot of companies, they don't have a budget for that, really. So if my students can do, go do a bang up job for you for very cheap or very or free, you get the benefit of a top notch studio and all of these great ideas. But who are we going to help? You know what? We're going to help the other social enterprises. Yeah. We're going to go help the nonprofits. That's who gets the benefit of the cheap or very or or free service that we offer. So, so that's part of it. Okay, so that's the services and product side. Social enterprise means something else to me too. It means being community minded, thinking about the impact of what you're doing. I have to consider what am I teaching, 
what skills are we providing? Who are we admitting? Who gets these opportunities? Because that affects the way the, the society develops here. You have, it's not just how many can I sell the fastest and for how much, it's who do I wanna help? And if you put that, who do I wanna help first, that makes you a social enterprise too. I think transparency, as I mentioned, as another core value, nonprofits show their books. Nonprofits show you their organizational structure. They show salaries. They show you what percentage of their buzz budget is profit and what percentage of it is being reinvested. And after our first year of operation, I intend to show on our website, I mean, it won't be every dirty detail there like what we bought on Tuesday the 27th, but it, it will say what percentage of our revenues are going towards social programming, what percentage are going towards building our own program, what percentage are going towards salaries, and what percentage do we take out for ourselves? So people can see very plainly, hey, where's my money going? Why, why should I buy from this company? Well, because you can see where the money's going and you can see what our profit margin is. That's not a secret. There's a third aspect to social enterprises that I think is important. Please, can I add one more? I think, and I have to admit, it's a serious challenge for me, even with these values, business ethics and how you treat labor, paying a fair salary, being an equal opportunity employer where people from different ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds, orientation, you know, gender identity, all these things. I, I have a really diverse staff now and that's taken effort. Paying people an attractive wage is a challenge as a startup, but we, we're getting better at that. But I encourage people to, to pay people what they're worth because it's a lesson I've learned the hard way so many times on both sides. And so I think part of being a social enterprise is also being very fair with your hiring practices and being very fair and open with compensation. And don't hide that. We create um, a salary grid and qualifications. Everyone knows what they make. So it's not a big secret. That way everyone feels that they're being valued and they understand why they're being paid what they're being paid. And that's something I'm working on now. If you're listening and you work for me, you're gonna nod your head and say yes. <laughs> but um, so, so yeah, being, being open and transparent is, is really a big thing. So that's why I consider Ology a social enterprise. And I hope it evolves into something more than that in the future where we can do more charitable activities. And uh, do, you, do you intend to... It's like, it's like a question that comes to my mind as an entrepreneur as well, is because I feel like this is this is this is a good unique selling proposition. Like this is a good you know way to advertise your business in a way. You know, like I think even as a consumer, like me for example, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to hire people. I would voluntarily you know sponsor one of your new trainee who is learning about e-commerce because in the future I'm planning on, you know, building an e-commerce site and maybe he could help me and join my team, for example, right? right. And if I want to do this, I kind of need to know that you are, you know, offering that service, right? It's the basic of, let's say, marketing. And maybe it's a provocative question and you don't have to answer about it, but I'm wondering why it's not more obvious, you know? When you, when you talk about it, like it's obvious, right? But when we go on your website, it's... It's really not, you know, it's like, it's not on the first page or anything like that, right? I think it should be. Look, yeah, yeah. yeah the best way, to, it's, well, I, I mean, I hope I didn't, don't get myself in trouble with my partners. I'll try to be nice to everybody. I really value them and I, I'm not working alone. I have a really amazing investor. Part of being an entrepreneur doesn't mean having money. It just means having a great idea and being able to execute it and finding someone who believes in that idea. So 
my, my investor and my local partner do share my values and they do share our, this, this goal. We felt that offering the English training first was the right way to go. Okay. So it's the most fundamental thing that we could offer. And then we will introduce each of the certificate programs one by one later once, because it's a really complicated story to tell, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, it, it takes us an hour to understand. Uh, it's not a one line elevator pitch, is it? It's so hard. So that, that's right exactly now it's I was, uh, that's, sorry, that's exactly why I was being a little provocative because what I see for me as a social, as like what is a social business is, is you are building an, a whole uh, ecosystem, right? Like yes. where you were giving the example of, you know, like you provide, you provide a staff to someone and then, you know, like they sponsor you in the same time. So, you know, this, they, they start spending or sponsoring you. And at the same time, they can eventually get a, get better staff in the future or uh, better resources or teach their teachers or have you going to train their staff or anything like this. I guess like this is creating a whole circle of, you know, like win, 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 win. And it's, it's tough to, to, to put in place. So that's, that's where I'm going in this discussion as well. It's like, I feel we don't understand social enterprise. And I feel for an entrepreneur, when he gets started and his first goal is like, okay, how do I make money? What could be possible motivations? And it's probably related to your motivations, right? It's like, what could be the possible motivations of this entrepreneur to actually create a social enterprise? Yes, that's right. First of all, I really appreciate the, uh, let's call it an observation about our, our site right now. Again, I think we wanted to start with a really simple offering and introduce ourselves that way. But believe me, we have all of the literature ready to start going up there. And I think soon you'll start seeing more of that social enterprise mission being featured on the front, because I think it is a great selling point. It, it, it's, it's great for your brand. It's great for the kind of trust that you get from other stakeholders because they see that you're you're not just in it for yourself. And I think it shows the community that that you're attached and you belong and you're not just out there taking. So so yeah, I would agree. And that's a high priority for me is to be able to move into those services and to tell that story well. That's what I mentioned earlier. I said that I want to we want to get our own act together first. So right now we're working on our own branding and our own storytelling. And I, I hope that you can come back in a few weeks or a few months and see, see that that story is being told better, that, it, that the story that we're telling online is matching our values and our mission in, in, in reality. Now, about the, the kind of ecosystem, you've said it completely right. That's the ambitious. You have to start at one point of the wheel, though. You can't start at all points. And so we have to be known for being good at something. So we're going to start with the language. Actually, the language that we're teaching the IELTS and the communicative English, for me, are meant to be a foundation so that you can study the marketing and the e-commerce in English. Yeah. So then, well, then it doesn't matter where you're from. So if you're Chinese here or French or Italian and you, you have enough English, you could also attend these classes. It wouldn't be restricted just to Vietnamese students. We could offer it in Vietnamese, but I thought that I think placing people in internationally oriented businesses requires some foreign language. I'm actually really in the future, I dream big. I would like to add other languages of instruction. I mean, that, that's a very long-term goal, pretends to dream, but to offer something in, in, in Chinese or French or even Korean or something, you know, these are big languages in this in here now, Japanese. So there's lots of opportunities. So, so for, 
I think the second part of your question, if I'm not mistaken, looking <laughs> back, was about the entrepreneurship again. Can you yes. bring, bring me back? So yeah, like when when I'm hearing your story, it it makes me relate to you know me when I'm building my business, and of course, one of the reasons I'm doing it has to be with making money. But you know that on a long term, you know it's it cannot be only the only reason because otherwise you would drop out or quit after not making money because when you open a business you don't start making money right away it's hard yeah. it's a long journey and before you actually figure out your own you know processes and your own customers and and, and even your customers are constantly evolving so it's a long journey right so the, yeah the question is like why would an entrepreneur you know want to create a social enterprise right okay so thanks for the reminder I'm, well first of all it's the right thing to do i mean I think every business should strive to, to have a social mission. We have this concept of corporate social responsibility, C CSR, and that's all too often just a check on a box for a corporation to tick so that they can satisfy their public relations needs. But to be fair, it does do that. If, you're, if, if you can show yourself doing real meaningful things that impact the community, there's, there's not a better story to tell than that. Yeah. So, so I think it, it gives you more that, to talk about than just, hi, we're a company, we have a product that you want, please buy our product. It's cheaper, we'll get, it's better, we'll get it to you faster. That's a great story, but that's the same story that everyone is telling. So how can your story be different? Well, tell us what you're doing to help people too. What are you doing? Do you do something special with your staff like profit sharing, like Starbucks does, you know, the evil empire, you know, but at least they're, they make people, they give people a buy-in. So the regular rank and file staff members get a piece of the company, it motivates them. So the second reason is if you're helping the community, the community likes you and they feel proud to be a part of what you're doing. So I think you attract, there's a certain group of people that really care about the ethics of, of the company they're working for. I wish it were more people. Yeah, and, and I think 90% of the customers maybe won't care, but the 10% that cares are going to be, you know, like your top priority, your top customers. And again, like, I think it goes back to this ecosystem where, you know, it benefits the entrepreneur and the company, and then it benefits, of course, the customers and benefits, obviously, the whole society and the community. And I really uh, want to prove that you can make money and still do things fairly and mm -hmm. openly. Well, I can share my story because that's what happens to that's what happened to my hostel. I, I used to have a hostel in, in Saigon, and the first few years, like the first two years, the first year and a half, let's say, it was just a random hostel, and you know, with beds, and you come, and yeah, and then at some point, I was like, well, you know, seeing the reviews and seeing the crowd and seeing my staff and myself, you know, evolving in this environment. We we're like there is there must be something that we have you know that is special to us and one of these things was that we were located in district 10 you know like it's, it was a really local area a local district and the one thing we were doing very specific was to talk to the neighbors and help those local businesses you know recommend them to our guests get the guests to try the local food and not go to you know the top 10 hostel the top 10 recommendations on TripAdvisor or anything like that and i that's why i'm asking you like when or why it's not more obvious for your website for example to see this because as soon as i started to mention about it you know like saying hey guys we are not just selling products but we are actually you know impacting the community and 
doing something for the local in the, in the in our neighborhood and of course we are a little far of course we are you know it's not perfect and obviously it won't be perfect but if you're interested in this come and as soon as i started do this you know within six months the, the wholesale was packed and i became number one and that's outstanding and i i think that that's really that is a small but meaningful way yeah. to improve improve what you're doing for the community and also make yourself a more attractive you know service so I, I i applaud that that's really great that you're doing that i know you do more than that but that's 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 a good way to start and yeah i mean it's it, it's also the things we do for our for our neighbors and it, it's not it's not just making a product great and selling it totally agree so so that's the high value and i would i would recommend that to every startup because it keep at least one part of your mission related to helping the society around you yeah and it can't just be words. You have to do something, and then you need to tell that story. And that's what that's what we need to work on. You know, it, it, it's that if that tree falls in the forest kind of sto story, you need to let people know what you're doing. And that's our next step. And this podcast invitation is the beginning of that for me. Yeah. So this is a really great chance to to start telling that story. Yeah. I mean, like, of course, like, obviously, uh, and I, that's what I want to say also in this episode as well. Is like, I feel like you, you, you guys are because if you are like now many people, and I, I think you guys are on the really the right path. Like, I mean, you are evolving, and I see those, you know, evolutions, the feedback from people from the Fanvichan community on Facebook. Actually, shout out to them, to people in Fanvichan yes. at the moment. Our people. Yeah. We're all locked down now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so shout out to them and, uh, and the force and honor. And, and, and yeah, like, it's, it's difficult to, to know as a, an outside perspective, you know, who is doing a, the right thing and who is not you know, involved at all. And I think, you know, even if there is a price involved or if there, if there is marketing involved or whatever, I believe in the end, like if people start to know that, you know, you are a social enterprise and you are acting for your community, that gives them a good reason to buy your product in the end. Yeah, that's yeah it can help. It can help distinguish you from other other brands. Um, you know, the, the trick is getting the local Vietnamese community to understand what that means because they're, it's a new concept here. They, they've seen government aid come from many different, you know, from like the J JICA or Quake or from USAID or from the Australians, the Germans are doing GIZ. You know, there's these huge government organizations. I, I forget the name of the French one, but you know, you have, that wasn't on purpose. Um, uh, yeah, but you, these government organizations do such great work and they're used to seeing them especially, you know, like 20 years ago until maybe yeah. 10 years ago. And then, then you started to see NGOs that are, you know, operating independently of the government, but they're still doing charity. It, there's a separation in our minds between that and business. Yeah. So how can you keep that same social mission and still operate as a for-profit? If I may, there's an obstacle to forming a nonprofit in, the, in most Southeast Asian countries. I won't say, say them all by name to protect the innocent, but there, there's, there, it's very expensive to register a nonprofit and there's a lot of hurdles and mm. it's, it's really not worth it in many ways. You, you need a million dollars to go give something away for free before you can even get started. 
And, and you know, you, you need so much investment and you need to pay for so many licenses. There's so many requirements and a lot of oversight. But as a for-profit, imagine a world where you just decide yourself to do the right thing, where there's not a policy that tells you you have to give people free lunch every day, you know, but you do it. And so I think, you know, for those young entrepreneurs, do, if you can afford it and you think it's going to connect with your community and, and reach that audience, from a strictly sales point of view, it's profitable exactly. because you're going to go out and, get, and do something for the community. They see you, let them see you doing it. They ask you, what are you doing? Who are you? And then you, you create that local buzz. It's so hard with, without being able to do offline marketing. I, I'm, I am ironically... <laughs> Um, very traditional in my marketing. I hire people and I work with teachers and students who are excellent at, at digital production. But where, where I'm strong is knocking on doors and going out and shaking hands and smiling and talking to people. And you can't do that right now. So it's really hard. But maybe, maybe you can do it another way by sharing this message. Hey, we're doing this thing for the community. Or maybe joining our podcast and uh, talking about it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that, what you said is actually, for me, one of the things I've, I've seen in the Vietnamese communities where, you know, this little banh mi stand in the street, the reason why she doesn't sell her banh mi 50K or 100K, and even if she could, you know, is also part of the, the efforts she do for the community, don't you think? I, I think there's something to that. Offering a price that that fits the local market is is responsible. So, you know, I I think pricing, of course, has to do with a lot of things. It has to do with how much. What is the real cost of your product? What what will the market allow? But then there's this wiggle room where you could charge more or charge less. And if you look around and you say, you know what, I want to give a good, clean food product that's available to everyone for an affordable price. That is a kind of generosity because you're not taking advantage of people. So, you, you know, it, it's, it's tough being a foreigner here in some ways because we want to have food from home, but it's really expensive. And how do you, how do you provide foreign food for a locally affordable price? Uh, super hard to do. And in many cases, it might be impossible because of your location. There's, the overhead is just so high, right? But if you find yourself in a situation where you could make it so that Vietnamese people have more access, You're, 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 you're giving them access to something they didn't have before. You're making it available to them. And so, and you're also making it available to people who, who love that kind of food, but otherwise couldn't have it. So yeah, that's a kind, I guess the banh mi salesperson on the side of the road selling for an affordable, you know, you'd have to ask them to see if they just didn't, if they under, if they're underselling themselves because they don't know that they could charge more <laughs> or if they're doing that on purpose because they want it to be more accessible. Great so question. It's, it's <laughs> funny because that makes me remember a conversation I had with a Vietnamese entrepreneur and he was like, one of the reasons why, you know, these people are still selling at this price and they wake up in the morning and they work so hard and all these things is because they strongly believe that they are, you know, part of the community and they are building something strong and, and they are involved and they contribute. That's their way to contribute as well to the effort of, you know, the, 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 where the community is growing. And, and I, I believe in a sense, this, is a, this is the social model of the Vietnamese community. That is, a form, that, is, that is a form of social entrepreneurship, if that's their thinking. So it starts with a perspective. It starts with a worldview. So if your frame of mind is, 
helping people, giving people, giving more people greater access, distributing something that otherwise would be unavailable, providing a service that doesn't exist, giving, that's the, the mindset. And then the next step is putting it into practice, like you said, and that you might have to make some sacrifices. It might take you a little bit longer if you do that. So you have to be willing to give something up, but there's a greater good. And I think in the long term, I strongly believe that if you take a social mindset into a for-profit business, that you're going to ultimately profit more in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's going to be a good way to, to transition as well to our closing, because I think it's uh, time for us to wrap up a little bit and uh, make sure every time I'm talking with entrepreneurs and we're talking about those type of topics, it's really taking a more than definitely more than 45 minutes. Actually, do you have any uh, like last topic or last question you want to ask or talk about today, maybe related to what we talked to or, or anything else actually completely different? Something that you have in mind and I didn't cover, perhaps? Well, not, nothing comes to mind immediately, but I, I guess what I would say is we, we spent some time talking about what community members and what potential clients think about your company and maybe you should ask them. So I, I would just encourage, I mean, not you, the, the, but if you have a company and you're, you're struggling to figure out what kind of thing could I provide, start asking them what they need, what would make a difference. And if there's a way for you to include that in your operation, then even, I would just say some things are just going to break even, but they have a higher value to the other aspects of your business that, that are for profit. So, you know, I, w- I would just encourage, this goes for me, this goes for you and everyone to find, if you can make a difference and help people around you and it's not, and you can make it work, it's not highly profitable, maybe it just breaks even, maybe some small part of your business could do that. It, it, and then that, that's a way to become a social enterprise too. So uh, I, I think people can be creative. I bet there's people listening to this that have their own ideas about how they would demonstrate themselves to be socially responsible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I would like to create an association or like a, a symposium or some sort of event where social entrepreneurs can come together and share ideas. Mm-hmm. When, when, when things calm down here in Vietnam, I would be very interested in starting a nonprofit organization that just, it's not a real registered thing, but just informal that would be a, a, a kind of venue for social entrepreneurs and people in nonprofit to come together, share techniques, share math, maybe share staff and services to each other. And so, so I would, I hope that if, if we can start something like this, it takes more than just me. I need to have a handful of people who share the vision. And if you're out there and you, if you're interested, please contact me because, you know, I've got a lot of experience starting something from nothing in terms of volunteer organizations. So we can, it would be volunteer. And so, so the last thing I'd say is let's really talk to each other and help each other succeed. Yeah. These, these businesses that keep the social mindset, it's in all of our interest to help each other survive and grow because we're all working towards that same greater economic development goal. And we're all working towards that same civil society value. Yeah. Uh, man, that's a, a really good way to end this because I wanted to summarize a little bit like what was, you know, the learning I, I, I had in this, in this episode. And, and one of the things I realized is we put big, big, you know, definitions behind like social entrepreneurship and social businesses and, and 
it has to have an impact or whatever. But I feel like in the end, it's a lot. It has a lot to do about you know having this this layer, this additional layer over the business model that you have. That is you know having or helping the, your business to to be driven by a sort of uh, a purpose with you know that is above yourself, above your business, above your community. Somehow something that you know, goes back to the word. The, the first thing you told me about, you know, I asked you about your background is this, this involvement that we all wish to have and to, and to do and to be. Yeah. yeah, I think you've said it quite clearly. I'm, I'm really grateful that you've given the opportunity for us to have a voice on these matters. And I, and I hope that it's infectious. I hope people get this idea about the good kind of infectious thing in Saigon would be if people added this higher purpose to their business model, not just on paper, but did something. And you know, there are a lot of great businesses out there. They don't talk about themselves, but I personally know there's restaurants that are giving food to the hungry. There, you know, there's people buying things anonymously to help those in need. And there's people every day who give from their own pocket to help someone who's, who's struggling. We can do it on a personal level. I, as a foreigner in Southeast Asia, how many times have we been asked for help from local people that like, could you help me do this thing? And I would invite people not to think about that in a negative way, being asked for help. When someone asks you for help, it takes a lot of humility and there's a lot of shame in that. And so if they seem to be really direct and if they seem like, why are you asking me? Don't get annoyed. You, you find a solution for yourself, what's right for you, what you can do. Maybe you can't do much. But when people come to you for help, and in, especially in these very difficult times, and you know, if there's something you can do that also helps you survive and get your, your message out, oh, I think that's really worth it. You know? so. And so, okay, let's just close on those words. And let me know how, let, let us know, let everybody know how we can learn more about Ology. Like where, where can we find out about your, your business? Okay, well, of course we're on Facebook and it's Ology HR is our forward slash facebook.com forward slash Ology HR. You can find us on the web at ology.asia. And of course, I'm Greg Dolezal. You can find me here and there as well. Perfect. <laughs> Can I put the link of your Facebook and all the business, like all the website and everything? Absolutely, absolutely, cool. absolutely. And last question, because we ask our guests this question at the end of the interview. And actually, I would say out of the lockdown we are into, how would you describe Saigon in three words? Saigon in three words, a lot. I mean, that's two words, but can it count as one? <laughs> a lot. I mean, there's just a lot. Next is vibrant. The, the pace of this city and the way that it moves is, is electric. I love that. There's so much life. And then I would say, hmm, complex. Yeah. Yeah. There's, the longer you're here, the more you realize you don't know about everything that's going on. At first, it might seem really simple, but the, the relationships between people are so important. Relationships in Vietnam are everything. And when you start to have more of those relationships, you see really there's there's levels of understanding here that you might take for granted mm. because you've had a very simple view and it's it's not it's not nearly as simple as we think. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I think it's the same for everything. Like the more you know, the more you think you know, the more you try, and then the more there is to learn. It's a never-ending process. 
That's thank right. you, Greg, for today. And thank you for all these uh, nuggets of wisdom. I'm happy I had the chance to finish our conversation we had and we started when we first met. And obviously, we can't wait to see how Ology and how yourself will evolve into this new and, and very, very interesting journey of social business and, and having an impact for the community, especially for Vietnam at the moment. I think it's very good. I really appreciate that. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for, for listening to Creators in Saigon. If you liked this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.